Hey everyone, please listen to this important message that Henry has to share. Hello, my mama says bad words. So please make sure to wear your earmuffs for this week's episode. Finding the right jeans is hard. Accepting your jeans is even harder. Whether you wear boyfriend or bootcut, high rise or low rise, this podcast will teach you to love the jeans you are in. I'm Rachel. And I'm Tina. And we're going to use modern research to bust diet myths and get real about body after baby. We're going to take you on a journey of unpacking your old beliefs about food and weight so you can learn to nourish your body and raise body confident kids. So put your booty in a chair and let's talk mom jeans. We are in a series called Your Story, where our guests will be sharing the story of healing their relationship with their body. Each person's story is unique to them, and we are humbled by their vulnerability and willingness to join us in this space. As a result, we will not be editing out as many numbers, specific behaviors, or details as we normally would. If anyone's story has details that trigger you due to your healing journey, please press pause and take care of yourself. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode. Hey everyone, welcome back to Mom Jeans. This week we are sharing the story of Jen McClellan, known for her work in advocacy for plus-size birth. Jen's work and personal story are so important because she brings to light the stigma that those in larger bodies receive in healthcare. Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, as many of you may have experienced, not all medical providers and hospitals are plus-size friendly. And in fact, let's face it, most of the world is not plus-size friendly. And this lack of willingness to see plus-size bodies as beautiful, strong, worthy, and equal to other bodies leads to an increase in poor medical care, which can range from inappropriate touch, exaggerating statistics of high risk, making inappropriate recommendations of weight loss due to the doctor's own bias, or denial of natural childbirth. Our theme in this season is understanding how our internal dialogue and core beliefs impact our body image and body story. And we love how Jen spoke on this in her interview this week by sharing how she firsthand had to own the mantra, I am worthy of good health care, in order to then advocate for herself to find and receive the health care that respected her body. This is such an important point to make because healing our relationship with our bodies always has two parts. One is personal and the other is societal. While our podcast, Jen's podcast, which she'll tell you about, and so much of the hashtag body positivity on social media is aimed towards healing society, we know that that is a huge mountain to climb. So the healing that comes from within is the ultimate first step. The question is, do you believe you are worthy, that your body is worthy of care and that you are worthy of being an amazing mom no matter what your body looks like? Ooh, those get to be your journal prompts this week. And we hope that listening to Jen's story will inspire you in your process. So let's get to know Jen a little bit more, and then we will transition to her story. Jen McClellan is a published author, founder of Plus Size Birth, and host of the Plus Mommy podcast. She helps people navigate the world of plus size pregnancy, shares tips for embracing your body, and laughs her way through the adventures of parenthood. 
Her work has been featured in major publications such as the New York Times, Glamour, Today's Parent, Huffington Post, and International Doula. As a public speaker, Jen has spoken at numerous events, including presenting at the National Institute of Health. Jen is also a certified childbirth educator, wife, and mother to a charismatic nine-year-old. Let's transition to it now. Welcome, Jen. Thank you so much for joining our episode today. Hi, thank you both so much for having me. We are going to start off by putting you on the spot and asking you, what is a fun fact about yourself that nobody knows <laughs> or that not very many people That know. I want to share. Oh my gosh, I am on the spot. Why don't I have coffee yet this morning? Uh, there you go. <laughs> uh, <laughs> fun fact. You know, I think... I pushed myself in ways that I never thought I would do. So I did a photo shoot for the fourth trimester bodies project in my bra and underwear. And that that was really scary. It's one thing to do like photographs in like your bathing suit, which is scary enough, but to like expose my belly and thighs and to know that I had no control over the photos was really liberating. So I, I don't think lots of people have seen those photos that I have shared personally, but it's been amazing to be a part of a project that helps to reframe what postpartum bodies look like. So I've done a photo shoot in my bra and my underwear, and it was quite liberating. (laughs) I love that. Yay. Yay, yay, yay. Cool. Well, thanks for sharing your fun fact. All right. Well, now we'll go deep and get to the real questions. What, what is the story about healing your relationship with your body? Wow. You know, this story really starts with my son and getting pregnant. And I grew up as a chubby girl in Southern California. And I'm sure it's hard to be a person who exists in a larger body anywhere in the world, <laughs> but especially growing up somewhere with these impossible ideals of what it is like to especially be a woman was hard. And when I got pregnant, I was 30 and had a lifetime of messages that told me there was something wrong with me because I exist in a large body. And I'm cool with the word fat. I self-identify as fat, that's my word. And I've spent years reclaiming it. So I, I just didn't have a lot of confidence and love for myself. And then I got pregnant and was like, oh, I guess I have to like, nurture and nourish my body instead of hate it because it's not just housing me. And I hired a doula and a midwife that were like, hey, like your body's doing amazing things and you're obsessed with water aerobics and uh, eating foods that make you feel good and feel your body. Like, why do you keep telling us that you're high risk and that you're gonna have an unhealthy pregnancy and I was like, well, because that's what the internet tells me. <laughs> the internet, yes. Yes. And, you know, and then I ended up having a completely healthy plus size pregnancy and gave birth on my knees at almost 300 pounds. And it was like, wow, my body's magnificent. Like, why have I spent 30 years hating a body that just gave birth on my knees? Like, yeah. Like, wh- why, why did I believe all these messages? Like, I, I was healthy. and 
and and then I have this little baby that I'm like, wow, like I he's really cute. I did this. I grew this. Like this is amazing. And so then I started blogging about plus size pregnancy in 2011 and became a certified childbirth educator and just went down this whole journey to not only loving myself and encouraging others, but really around changing the conversation around plus size pregnancy of like, no, you can have healthy outcomes. And even if you don't, you shouldn't be made to feel ashamed of yourself because of your size. Like it makes no sense to me. Why was there not positive, empowering information when I was pregnant, wanting to be healthy and wanting to access that information, but everything online was doom and gloom. Yeah. That damn internet, man. You know, it's like, and I want to point out that people of all sizes can have different risk factors. This goes back to the core of our podcast and it's in our name, mom jeans with a G. It's, it is our genetics, you know, and our genetics is going to make up really what's putting us at risk because of our certain gene makeup it does not have to do with the size of our bodies and like you're saying like yes that is full mama bear women empowerment I gave birth I pushed this baby out while I'm on my damn knees yes and then I grew a little dude I grew a penis in my body (laughs) now you tell me that that isn't badass yes so I think it's absolutely amazing and I hope that mamas and parents listening can like really take that in and it gave me goosebumps and I teared up a little bit and maybe that's just hormones I don't know no I mean you know and I also when I talk about my story I also share that here I was 30 I switched from an OB that was kind of like oh we'll wait and see how things go to this hospital-based midwifery program where the midwife was like your body is incredible like of course you have a healthy outcome and like I had never been talked to and touched with compassion like that by a healthcare provider in my life. So it was life-changing to realize, oh, like people of all sizes should be treated with dignity and respect by the healthcare community. This is a new idea, which is ridiculous. Ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. But I think it is one of those things that's like, hey, wait, these individuals do exist out there. Sadly, we have to search for them and do a little bit of digging. But there are healthcare providers that are weight inclusive versus weight centric. And it just really is a little bit of digging. We should go to these professionals and feel empowered and respected and nurtured versus shamed you know, for something that you cannot control. Yeah, that's and a, that is just you. Yeah. Yeah, that's a lot of the work that I do right now is like what is a size-friendly care provider and how do you find one and 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 I think it starts with teaching people that you are worthy of one mm-hmm. and that oh by the way we pay like a lot of money for these services. Like I don't know about you but I pay $800 a month for medical insurance and I currently don't have a doctor because I can't find someone that won't just tell me to have weight loss surgery before they even ask me my name. Like it's terrible right now. Well, it sounds like a huge piece of your story is destigmatizing sizes, health, weight, both internally and externally, like in, in finding the care, but then also in your internal dialogue. So I'm curious if you could speak to a little bit about how that destigmatization is a big piece of your story. 
Sure. You, you know, like I said, you go online still to this day, all these years later, and you're led to believe that you can't have a healthy outcome. When we look at the statistics, the odds are in your favor of having a healthy outcome, especially if you go into pregnancy, low risk. And anyone of any size, right, health at every size can be low risk. Uh, so that's a lot of what I teach too, is just like, you, you need to know this going in. So what can we do knowing that, yes, if you exist in a larger body, there are some increased risks, absolutely, but we're made, made to feel like they are astronomical. So I like to look at gestational diabetes, for example, like if you're plus size and announce that you're pregnant, like you get a random message from your second cousin's best friend that, oh, you will develop gestational diabetes, which is like ridiculous. Like so many heartbreaking stories of like, my mother-in-law told me I would, my doctor told me I would. Uh, if we look at the research, we're looking at about a 17% increased risk, like 17%. That's not 30%. That's not 40. That's not 50. That's not 90. Why are we making people feel this way? So I like to teach flipping the script. And so for me, that's like, oh, like I have like an 83% chance that I'm not going to develop gestational diabetes. Why did no one ever talk to me about it in that manner? Oh, and, and now I'm looking at these other studies and if I'm proactive with nutrition and physical activity, you're, you're telling me I can reduce that risk even more? Like, this is how I teach. I, I travel the country speaking, well, I used to, before COVID, uh, speaking to, you know, birth professionals. I, I've spoken at the National Institutes of Health and worked on a project with them around pregnancy for everybody. Like, how do we change this narrative so we empower people to know that they can have healthy outcomes? And then we empower providers to address their personal bias and treat people with evidence-based compassion, not a lot of bias that happens behind closed doors where women are being told that their vagina is too fat to birth their baby when there is no evidence behind this. I, we're, we're recording this on video and I just saw eyes get really wide. So yes. <laughs> Literally, I like, vaginas are fat. Right? I don't right. even know how that is possible, right? Are there even fat cells there? Is that even a is that even like biologically accurate? Your vagina is designed to push babies. No, I mean I've I even have a guest post from an OB on my plus size birth website that's like your vagina cannot get fat. Like, uh, yes, we can. Yeah, there's not, there's probably not even fat cells there, right? We can have shoulder dystocia, like where the baby's shoulder kind of gets stuck. There's increased risk for that and soft, soft tissue dystocia. So there are some things where care providers, well, the baby gets stuck more, but we're looking at like minuscule percentages of increase. And yet we're leaping to, oh, because this happens. Um, but a lot of it has to do with, it, we do know statistically that it takes people of size a little bit longer in labor and care providers are so stuck on the clock that people aren't given extra time. So yes, we see much greater increase in cesarean birth and there are increased risks which leads to cesarean birth, but there is nothing, no study that proves that a vagina can get so fat. And I'm talking like, when we talk about plus size pregnancy, I think it's important to acknowledge that we're talking about 60% of people in their childbearing years are classified, and I hate the O word, but as overweight or obese. So we're looking at like actually the majority of people. And so why we still allow such stigmatization and shame and harm to be occurring 
is beyond me. So yeah, and people are told, you know, at under 300 pounds that they have to have a cesarean based only upon their weight on their first prenatal visit. And all these things are happening that are just horrifying to me. And people are like, sure, 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 Jen. <laughs> and I'm like, wait, I can prove it. Like I can do one posting on my Facebook page and you'll just read heartbreaking story after story after story. And I can pull up study after study. Like now we have studies to show that there is a care provider bias against people of size. Like we have studies and stories. So fight me, like, come on now people. Treat people with dignity and compassion. And that's how we accomplish what you guys do on the show is like, okay, so how do we work through this and how do we love ourselves and how do we nourish ourselves so our kids love themselves? And it starts by just being treated with compassion and having your care providers believe in your body as much as you should be believing in your body. So what, what makes you passionate? What is your why for having a positive body relationship and sharing all of that? What is your why? Because I'm worth it. Because I realized that I am worth loving myself and I started talking about it publicly. I get messages every week from people saying, I got pregnant because of you. I love myself because of you. And and my favorite thing to do is to respond and say, I didn't do that. I just put resources out into the world. You did that. You tapped into that. And I think we give away our power so often. And so if I can just tell my story and work on myself and know that it impacts so many people in many different ways to do their work, then then that's my why. And, I, and I've always said, if I ever stop getting emotional when I get those emails, then it's time for me to stop this work. Yeah. Because it is such hard work. Yeah. I, I got goosebumps. I literally got goosebumps and a shiver. Because I can, I can feel, we're on video, and I can feel that emotion, that intensity, the passion. Yeah. And like literally, I wish you could see my arms, the little hairs. Like I feel it. I feel it just even looking at you. I love it. Yes. I mean, I left a career, right? Like I've been doing this for nine years and it is not easy being a blogger and podcaster full time. Let me tell you and the the sacrifices my family has had to make to have this be a reality. But my husband is so proud of me because he sees the change that I've made and, and the change that has happened within me too. So it's so incredible to do this and be supported in it. And it's incredible. I love that you're saying, look, I'm putting the resources out there. And I'm sure people listening or people who follow you are thinking, okay, that sounds great and all. But there's always this huge hurdle of the internal dialogue and that internal self-acceptance. So I'm curious if you can provide our listeners with any thoughts of like how you change some of that inner dialogue to help your body acceptance journey and healing so that you could advocate for yourself. Because it sounds great, but if we haven't done that internal work, it's hard to advocate. So I was curious if you could speak to that part of your story. Totally. I mean, there's so many different facets and tips around that. I think it starts with, I'm sure, things that you guys talk about, like diversifying your social feed, right? Really being mindful of what we're looking at and what we're taking in. Like if you have people on, you know, your Facebook friends that are always talking about hating themselves and their weight loss and before and after pictures, like we know that's toxic and unhealthy. So I'm a big, big fan of the unfollow 
feature on Facebook and, and use it often. Uh, and Instagram too, like I think it's really important that your Instagram feed isn't a reflection of just you. Like diversifying it with so many different people of different colors, backgrounds, religions, abilities, like that has enriched my life and changed my world's perspective in magnificent ways. And as someone who exists in a much larger body to see people in bodies like mine loving themselves and taking those bra and underwear photos or bathing suit photos or, or being covered up and just existing has been huge in helping me to feel like I have the right to take up space as well. So it, it starts with diversifying the messages that we're taking in, reading books that you know are written by people who are, if you're you know, a person of style, like that positive. And even if you aren't, you can learn so much uh, and taking in all that great information, but then baby stepping into self-advocacy. And that can start with something so simple as just if you exist in a larger body and you're having a meal and you're provided a chair with arms, instead of smushing your body and feeling completely uncomfortable when you're supposed to be enjoying an experience with friends or family, speak up and say, I would like a different chair. Like that can be terrifying, trust me, I know. But now I just walk into the place and I'm like, oh, this isn't gonna work. Or better yet, I was with my in-laws recently and we were having uh, lunch at the patio and by the time my husband and I arrived a little late, kind of as usual, uh, they had already had the wait staff bring us different chairs. And it choked me up because I had taught her by now that those tiny chairs are not comfortable for me and I want to enjoy my time. And so can you baby step into self-advocacy and then especially around your healthcare? Can you speak up for yourself? And the more we can start to diversify the messages we're taking in and start to do that self-advocacy, then the bigger work, like looking in the mirror and not hating everything you see, starts to come a little bit more naturally. I mean, I can give you tips like, say one thing you love about yourself daily, and that's all well and good, but it's so much deeper than that. And so many little, little steps that get us to that place of being like, oh, I, I look good, you know? that. It's a long, long journey and I'm nowhere near at the end because there is no end because now I'm 40 and my boobs do not look at all what they looked like, you know, 20 years ago, let, let alone after breastfeeding, let alone, like everything's always evolving and changing and so does your relationship with your body. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, this is totally off topic, but the breastfeeding thing, you know, it's like, okay, I'm, my son's almost 20 months. We stopped breastfeeding at around 13 months. And I'm like, maybe, oh, okay, my, my boobs are not coming back. Nope. Uh-uh. They are just, you know? And I think it's like, hey, guess what? That's beautiful because my little dude, I produced food for that yeah. person. Yeah. How did my body know how to do that? Right? Right? That's amazing. Damn. Right. That is amazing. Anyways. Well, and then, um, well, that's redefining. No, that's redefining beauty. It, like, beauty yeah. maybe is a lot. That's redefining the definition of beauty. Right. Beauty doesn't necessarily look a certain way. Beauty is in the power of the body, the power of the genetics. Totally. Like, there's, it's, re it's redefining. Like, I could put a book under my boob <laughs> and it will stay there. That's how <laughs> that beautiful, beautiful that is. <laughs> And that's because I was able to provide food 
for my little dude. Like, yeah. hey, thanks for that new fun fact skill. I can put a book under my boob. I don't know who can, but I can. That's pretty um, cool. And then I would, I would encourage you now that your breasts have, you know, you're done breastfeeding, you're coming into your body again, then I would encourage you to do something kind for your breasts. And that means getting fitted for a bra that actually fits because we all know we probably have never had a bra that actually fits. But not only is that like pick whatever, whatever you love, whether it's a sports bra or whether it's a lace, you know, gorgeous bra, like whatever it is that is your idea of beautiful and sexy, but spoiling yourself, but also getting something that fits properly to help with pain. And like all of these things that we don't talk about and we don't spend money on ourselves often as parents, like that's that next step of being like, okay, here's my boobs. And yeah, I can put a book under them and I'm going to, I'm going to work on loving them. But, but you work on loving them by doing nice things for yourself, talking nicely to yourself and then, you know, dressing them up a little because that, that tends to make us feel good. I, I talk about that when I talk about like, uh, for me, like I only wear sexy underwear. Like that's just a thing because it just makes me feel good. But what, how I define sexy might not be how you do. So like, I, I love a little lace and I love black undies and that stuff. But I always say like, if you love granny panties, then you rock your granny panties. Like who am I to tell you what that beauty means or sexy means, or even just feeling good in your body, but whatever that means, like get rid of the period panties. Like just, you owe it to yourself to, to feel good in your body. And that means doing these little things and spending a little bit amount of money on yourself. I love that you bring this up because I literally just won a gift card for an outrageous amount of money. It's crazy. And I never win anything. And I actually won. And I talked to my husband. I'm like, I don't even know what to do with this. Like, should I use it to like buy Henry things or like update stuff in my office? And he was like, no, buy yourself some damn underwear and bras. And I'm like, Thank you. Because we were talking about it the other <laughs> week and I'm like, damn it, I can't, I need to buy new bras and underwear. And, and then this, he's like, guess what? You, I'm going to make you buy some new bras and underwear. So, hey world, I'm going to buy some bras and underwear with my gift card that I won. Yes. But for anyone listening that wasn't given an awesome gift card, like you, awesome. you shouldn't have to feel like guilty that you need underwear without holes. Totally. Like, this that? is not, don't wait till you win a gift card right? to have to buy yourself underwear. It's right? not right. No. Yeah. And it's something uh. so small. And in the long terms of it, like I don't get my nails done weekly or that kind of stuff, but I am always rocking some sexy undies. So there you go. I love it. There's, that's your fun fact too. Oh, I like, that's a much better fun fact than yeah. my interest. <laughs> yeah. This can be a combo question because I'm curious what makes you passionate about sharing your story on your blog, social media, and um, your podcast. And is it, and I know you also love busting myths about plus size birthing. I know you've shared that a little bit, but I'm, I'm curious if you could just expand on that a little bit more. When you're asking about like telling my story, I can tell you that it has been so powerful to like, I remember when I first started my blog in 2011 thinking like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to use the word plus size. Like people are going to know I'm fat. Like this was like so radical, even though like if you hung out with me in person, it it, it wasn't a, 
surprise at all, right? So like there's such power in the vulnerability of telling our stories and you just never know how many other people have been waiting to hear their own story reflected in yours and the power that it can have. So I think we, we look at social media like, oh my gosh, people are so oversharing. And then I think like, if I never would have shared, like I can't, like I'm, I'm sure like, you know, now we have hashtag plus size pregnancy on Instagram and it's like 40,000 photos, but there was no Instagram when I started. Like my Facebook blew up. Like I have 177,000 followers on Facebook because no one was talking about being plus size and taking maternity photos. Like I, I remember when I was pregnant, like searching on Google images for like hours, like just to find someone's head and face. And there weren't these gorgeous maternity images, let alone gowns that I could even find in my size. And still to this day, I don't understand why it is so hard to find plus size maternity clothes. Like we're getting better at like up to 2X, but I'm sorry, that is not the extent of people needing access to. So a lot has changed in these past, you know, nine years, but a lot still needs to be done. So I think it's so important, like your story matters. And I always encourage people to put it out there and in whatever way feels comfortable to you. <laughs> By no means do you need to do a blog or a podcast or whatever, but you know, if you've ever wanted to tell your story, then you know, ask to come on and be a guest on a podcast or, or just start by dipping your toe in and sharing some things on social media if that's comfortable to you and support other people that are telling stories that look like yours too. I think there's just such, such power. So that's where the passion comes from too, is like, wow, like, look what it, look what the ripple effect that happened. And I, I'm just continuously blown, blown away by it. It's really an honor. Yeah. And I think like people can start small and go, which may feel big to them, but starting like, okay, I'm going to share it to my family or I'm going to set these story and these boundaries Boundaries. and, and health professionals. And then it, it does create that ripple effect because like you're saying like, wow, I show up at this restaurant and my mother-in-law had a chair that was going to be comfortable for me. And I didn't have to create that own advocacy it already happened because I had shared my story right and so I think that if if individuals are like well I don't want to share it on social media or I don't feel like I have that platform those platforms exist in various ways that it doesn't need to be out to the world it could be out into your own world yeah so I think that's so so important and even though it's it might feel like a small step it is a massive step and so I encourage all to find that massive step for you yeah and you said another word I absolutely Mm -hmm. love which is boundaries so apparently like sexy is the word of this episode because my motto my personal motto is boundaries are sexy Mm -hmm. because for so long boundaries were scary and what the heck is a boundary and how do I set a boundary? But then when I owned it, I was like, Hey, boundaries are sexy. Like I can say no, like that's not scary or wrong. Like that's empowering. Like, why do I always feel like I have to say yes to everything? And I have to put myself in uncomfortable situations to please others. Like no boundaries are sexy. And so if you have someone who continuously makes you feel bad in your life, 
you set a boundary and you can limit time and exposure to those people in your life. And, and let me tell you, if they make you feel uncomfortable, how do you think your kids are feeling? And your kids pick up on everything, how you're feeling. You can't fake anything in front of those kids. I mean, maybe when they're itty bitty, but they catch on real fast. So it's so important that you learn how to set your own personal boundaries so you can also flourish in your life. So then what's the greatest lesson you've learned in this journey? So many. I think, you know, we talked about the worthy thing, and I think that continues to be a narrative. And for me, that I'm worthy of good health care has been one of my greatest takeaways. And it's still something I continuously have to fight for. But I'm worthy of stomping out of a doctor's office. I was having problems breathing. I had had strep throat and I just was really struggling to breathe. And my mom and sister and with their health history, when they have strep throat, they get an inhaler, they can breathe better. It opens up their airway. They're great. And so I was like, oh yeah, like I haven't had strep throat in forever, but maybe that would help me. And I couldn't see my regular doctor. So I was just able to get in with someone at the same clinic and immediately like sometimes you just know that you got like the you know the short end of the straw that day like why did i get this person walk in and it was immediately like oh well according to your bmi da 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 and and the the worst was you know just a few minutes in of well well, maybe you're just so big that you need to be on oxygen and if she had spent yes and if she had spent just a little bit of time looking at my chart she would have seen and not that I have to prove myself with physical activity but like I had just gotten approval to do a 5k like I walking from you know my car to my home and being out of breath while I exist in a large body was not normal for me like walking even in the lobby of the doctor's office and like struggling to breathe not normal and it stripped me of that worth and belief that I deserved good health care And I was devastated and I refused to get up from the chair until she would help me. And she got really pissed off at me because we did this breathing test and she's like, well, yeah, I can see here that your, um, your breathing, your lung capacity isn't where it should be, but I'm not going to give you an inhaler because there are risks. And I was like, what? And then she's like, well, there could be problems with your heart. And she's like, I'd have to give you like an EKG. And so I was like, fine, give me an EKG. And she wasn't expecting that. Like she was expecting me to just like leave. And meanwhile, I am struggling to breathe. And they gave me an EKG and it was fine. And she still refused to help me. They gave me uh, the, the nebulizer and a treatment and it really did help. So I was like, look, this is helping me to breathe. There is clearly something wrong. And she was just being so mean and demeaning to me that I finally just like, it, it had been over an hour. I remember like messaging with my sister, like, why is this happening to me? Like, I can't breathe right. And I just yelled at her and stomped out. And what I'm proud of myself is that I called back and I spoke with the clinical director and the clinical director was like, we apologize. Like I read what happened. This is inappropriate. Come back. We, you know, we won't charge you for that visit. I will see you free of charge. And, and then I, I told her like, I can't go back. Like I can't physically go back into that space. It was so humiliating and degrading and I'm still struggling to breathe. And I, I shouldn't take too long with the story, but it ended up getting worse. Like I almost blacked out driving because oh I was my. struggling so much. And finally I went to urgent care. Finally, I got the inhaler I needed and I was fine. And it's just an example of like how you can be so mistreated for a medical thing. And all she did was look at my size and my weight and told me, she basically told me I wasn't worthy of breathing. 
And what happened as a result is I ended up gaining over 60 pounds and didn't go to the doctor for two years. I became a statistic. We know if people are made to feel ashamed by their care providers, they're less likely to receive routine medical care and more likely to gain weight. And I knew that, this is what I teach, but I experienced it and it stripped me. So even though I can say, advocating for myself is one of the greatest things I've learned, I still get put in these situations that are so incredibly hard. And almost, when I tell the story, it's like almost hard to believe that this like happened. Um, but I'm charging forward and still trying to find a good doctor and it's so hard. And I, I really, really wish it wasn't. I know. I And I think what I want listeners to pull from this is like, you teach this, right? This is something that you understand the statistics, you understand the facts and you wholeheartedly believe it. And still it's hard because that trauma of that experience it's like your teacher self and all that core value does get stripped because this individual is stuck in their own bias and that bias gets spit onto you and unfortunately that is the world that exists I think back to like your chair comment in the beginning where it's like a lot of times I'm working with clients um, who are working on body acceptance, who identify as fat and are blaming their body for not fitting in the airplane seat, not fitting in the chair, for struggling through a doorway. And it's like we need to remember that it is not your body it's the chair's fault, right? It's the airplane's fault. It's the door's fault. Like, why aren't chairs designed to fit everyone, right? And now we can get in this large tangent of how our culture is not socially acceptable for all. And so hopefully we are moving in that direction. But as we see with current times, it is a challenge on many fronts. So I think if we can start with that small reframe of like, it is not your fault. It is not your fault that that was your experience at the doctor. It's the doctor's weight bias. And even that doctor, who knows their story, right? They may, they grow up and di- grew up in diet culture. They may have their own body story and family story and unfortunately haven't has not been given the opportunity to heal that themselves. So if we can reframe that and go, wait, this isn't me. This is, this is something else. You just took me to therapy. I love it. Yes. <laughs> and I'm the dietitian. <laughs> Let's see what the therapist got to say. <laughs> like, that's my job. Stop taking my job. <laughs> Uh, I like what you said, though, because we asked you, what is the greatest lesson? And I feel like your answer is that sometimes our lessons are always happening. Even if we learn them, we're learning another layer of it and another layer of it. And our story is always evolving. So I love the way you've been reframed that with your story of like, hey, I learned the lesson and then I learned it again and again and again. And then I and then I got deeper in the lesson learning and then I learned a different layer to that and how to advocate differently. So I love your answer is almost like I, I'm always learning the lessons and it, it's always evolving. Yeah. But, but like you said, like airplanes, for example, but now I'm at this point in my life 
where I'm unashamed to ask for an extender when I board the plane, right? And that took a long time to get there. So those baby steps of not only the chair of the arms, but that you are worthy of feeling safe while traveling. Like, why is that something we even have to frame in that way? But I can't tell you for how many years I just pretended like my seatbelt fit on an airplane. And now I have a whole like flying well fat uh, Instagram highlight that gets viewed so many times. And I get messages monthly from people saying like, I flew for the first time because you provided me with tips on how to fly in a larger body. And I, I was too terrified until now. And so I'm like, this is my why, like, this is why I do it because I had to go through my own journey of like, okay, I deserve the extender. This is terrifying. I'm going to ask for it. Okay. Now I, 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 you know, need an extra seat sometimes with Southwest and, and now I can advocate for that. And that was really scary and embarrassing, but now I'm telling the world and it's liberating because other people are realizing that they shouldn't feel limited because of their weight. Are there extra hurdles and obstacles we have to go through? Yes. But the, Life is available for us. We just have to push a little harder and believe that we're worthy of having access to it. Yes. So I think that that is a great resource that it's like, okay, you have this highlight, I'm assuming, that is flying while fat on your- it's, Yeah, it's a whole podcast episode, but I Ooh, actually- awesome. Yeah, I was actually traveling and was doing stories at the uh. airport of like, okay, this is what it was like to go through TSA, existing in a larger body. I always get pat down regardless of what I'm wearing. And I try on different outfits because, you know, when you have larger body, I like to call it the fat pat. They're like touching my body because it glows on the screen because I conduct more heat. You know, it's just things like that to be like, hey, it's okay if you conduct more heat. That's normal for your body type. But here's how you need to prepare because sometimes they get up really close to your vagina and you need to be emotionally prepared for that. So just talking about those things that we don't normally talk about is something that I enjoy doing because it helps other people to know, okay, well now I'm prepared <laughs> and I can go into this emotionally prepared or I can choose not to do this thing because I know what I might be walking right, into. Right. And I think that you did bring up like a good point of like, okay, Southwest does have the option that if you go up to the agent prior to boarding the flight and say, I need another seat because I don't because the seat does not fit my body. The seat again, not my body doesn't fit in the seat. It's the seat doesn't fit my body. Can you please give me a seat that I believe that if there are seats available, they will reserve two seats for you. Is that correct? Yes, um, but you can also purchase the second seat in advance and then get it refunded. So I have Amazing. tips around how to do that. Uh, PayPal credit has six months free and Southwest will refund you way before that six months. So I have a lot of little tips on like, because if you just show up, A, like flight anxiety alone is bad enough, but wondering whether or not there will be an extra seat is like, <gasps> you know, so I have tips on how you can kind of get around that without having to spend money out of your own pocket to get that extra seat. So, yeah. Awesome. Do you have any other resources that you feel like would be helpful for listeners? I mean, tons. Like if you are <laughs> plus size and trying to conceive or pregnant, you know, plussizebirth.com has a wealth of information around how to navigate that in a larger body and postpartum too. Like where do you find plus size nursing bras? If you think clothes are hard enough to find, wait until you need nursing bras. Like how do you, how do you have access to all of these things? 
how, I have a whole free guide on how do you connect with a size-friendly care provider around maternity care. I'm developing a list uh, of size-friendly care providers, and it's been so cool to have like OBs now reaching out to me to be listed. I'm like, yes. And like, I'm like, you identify as size-friendly, like, and you're size-inclusive, uh, and doulas as well. Uh, and then anything beyond that, I, I talk it. So my kid is like almost about to turn 10. So while plus-size birth is my baby forever and ever, and I, you know, the work, sadly, is not anywhere close to being done on changing how people of size are treated during pregnancy. I like to obviously talk about flying well fat and many other topics too. So I have the Plus Mommy podcast and the tagline is from bumps to bellies. We talk about it all. So any lifestyle, parenting, lots of birth stories too. Um, and I, I would love to mention that I have uh, the My Plus Size Pregnancy Guide and audiobook that covers everything you could want to know about being plus size and pregnant. So. Amazing. All right, let's wrap it up with what message do you want to share to our listeners who are navigating this journey of healing their negative body image mentality or their disordered eating habits? What do you want to leave our listeners with? Well, that you're worthy too, obviously. <laughs> but I think one quick way to break it down is think about all the time and energy we spend on our kids. Like think about how hard you research that pediatrician, right? your first pediatrician for that little baby. Like you're worthy of finding just as wonderful as a doctor for yourself and doing your own research to find that person for you. And when we start to do all the little things that we've talked about during our time together, you need a different chair. If you have a toxic family member that is always talking about dieting or uh, shaming you for the choices you make around your body or your food or your parenting, then set a healthy boundary with that because the more we take care of ourselves, the, the stronger parents we can be for our children as well. Well, so I know you did drop some resources. Um, can you tell our listeners specifically where they can find you, your handle names and podcast names? Yeah. Plus size birth for all things plus size pregnancy and trying to conceive and then plus mommy for all the fun stuff. A lot more behind the scenes with Jen over on Plus, plus mommy on Instagram and hanging out and tips and just daily life stuff. But that's, that's where you can find me. And I'd love it if you wanted to check out the podcast plus mommy. Yeah. Podcast. Well, thanks for coming on and sharing your story. We so appreciate it. And yeah, just love having you on. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thank you guys so much for the work that you do. It's, it's so needed. And I love this show. So Ditto. thanks for having me. Of course. We hope you felt inspired and moved by this week's story. Please reach out to the person interviewed to connect with them in the ways they listed, or you can check out our social media pages at MomJeansThePodcast for details on the episode and to find our guest's information. If you love the episode, please leave us a rating and review us on iTunes and recommend this episode to a friend. We are sending you the inner strength to accept your jeans with a G and wear the jeans with a J. Bye. This episode of Mom Jeans was produced and edited by Rachel Coleman and Tina LeBoy. Just a reminder, this episode is not a substitute for therapeutic counsel or nutrition advice. Thank you to Jerry DePizzo for the music production. 
You can find episode information and show notes at www.momjeansthepodcast.com. Follow us on Instagram at momjeansthepodcast and join the Mom Jeans the Podcast Facebook group to find a community of mamas learning to love their bodies and discussing the episodes. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Mom Jeans. See you next time.